This is District Sentinel Radio. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for Chip Chat. When the two Sams are joined by journalist Chip Gibbons, policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though everything he says on Chip Chat are his own words. Hello, I Chip. actually disavow my words as well as we established last time. No one, no one is taking ownership for for what I say on this program. That's true. And uh, Does anyone even prove it's really me saying these things? I think not. Maybe some crackpot forensics team out there can figure it out. But uh, the lay listener, no way. Nobody knows what anybody's saying on here or who anybody is. So that's what Chip Chat's all about. That- I look forward to cross-examining that forensics expert in a court of law. <laughs> that is all I will say. I'm sure you do, Um, but let's get to the business at hand with Chip Chat where we discuss various snacks. Um, I just want to give a tip to our listeners that often you can purchase a bag of croutons at about half the price as a bag of Doritos, and croutons make as a pretty good snack. Croutons eaten as chips are an excellent snack. That That is a good tip. That reminds me of my own tip. Uh, which is you can walk into Chinese carryaway restaurants and for about 50, 25 or 50 cents, you can often buy the bags of crispy noodles that they give you with, with soup. the duck sauce and the spicy mustard. Yeah, you, yeah, I think you you can probably get that too if that's your thing. I just go in and I get those crispy noodles and uh, this, just eat them straight out of the fucking bag. Some Chinese restaurants, when you sit down in the restaurant, they bring you a bowl of the crispy noodles and they serve them with the spicy mustard and the duck sauce. Mm, yeah, that's good shit. And yeah, Chip, I'm sure someone like you could talk their way into getting some duck sauce and spicy mustard with the uh, bag of well, fried noodles. They're served by default with those two but, two items, and it, it's very delicious. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's talk about something else here, and and we're going to talk about what happened or what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, that seems to be a story prime for Chip Chap. But before we get to that. You wanted to make a few comments, Chip, on this NPR. Well, uh, just in fairness okay, to go for it. National Public Radio, and you know me, I'm a stickler for fairness. <laughs> uh, we talked about a story they ran of not last Chip Chat, but the Chip Chat before. And as I explained on Twitter, I, I almost had an aneurysm on air while reading this story. Uh, and the NPR public editor, <laughs> Kelly McBride, has uh, weighed in on some of the, not my criticism, other more important people's criticisms. I don't think she's a chip chat listener, but I would uh, recommend the program to her. Uh, has has weighed in uh, on these criticisms. And I just thought in fairness to her, uh, we, should, we should see what it is she has to say. Of course. Uh, the title of her piece is Interview with a coffee shop owner upset some liberals. Here's what really happened. Ah, uh, so you know, you know, this is going to be a fair and balanced piece. And what I really like about this piece is that it continuously attacks and casts and like denigrates like the various people who criticize this piece, like myself, while begrudgingly conceding, okay, they are true, right? But while downplaying the problem, 
And if I taught some sort of course on like shady writing, I, I would I would teach this as a prime example. Um, actually, if I taught any course on any subject, whether it be the American Civil War or calculus, I think I would center it on this piece because it is just a miraculous uh, and fantastic, fantastic exercise in using the English language in a... Uh, great way so how how is the language used here is there a lot of what happened this is what she explains what happened the story had a handful of flaws all of them relatively minor <laughs> just some minor flaws it wasn't initially clear whether the coffee shop owner was choosing down to choosing to shut down her store or forced to shut it down the entire premise of the article is that the coffee shop owner cannot run her coffee shop because her employees would rather receive $600 a week at $15 an hour than the $10 a week she was paying them. If it's unclear why they're out of work because she fired them or laid them off, or they're just like slothful people, you know, getting, getting one over on big government, I think that's not a minor a minor flaw. I think that's a pretty major flaw. But you know what? You know what? It's a complex story that might not have been suited to a four-minute segment. Predictably, the internet, mostly Twitter, erupted with outrage. <laughs> oh yes, yes, and it's like it's like this is a oh, the other thing, other minor flaw. No workers were interviewed, and I'm willing to give NPR a bit of a pass on this one because I understand that a lot of these elite journalists don't really think the voices of working people matter. So this is sort of like not something they would ever think to consider. But like, it wasn't clear why the restaurant was shut down in a story about the restaurant being shut down is by its very definition, not not a minor flaw. And there's there's then there's this, my first impression, the story oversimplified how unemployment works. Actually, no mention of how unemployment works. Uh, oh, Oh, vociferous criticisms, additional loose ends. And then, and then she describes critics using their internet detective skills. But this is, this is, there's the final thing in here that I'll cover. It's just a particular great line. And I, I actually, on a certain level, respect the person who wrote this for the sheer audacity of, of writing this. The final paragraph summarizes what happened. That's what happened here. Uh, okay, uh, blah, blah, blah. A lack of context and missing voices in a complicated story opened the door for cynics to ignore those complexities. <laughs> right, like people- Doors were opened, oh, it sounds me. like. You did not mention the core fact or how unemployment works. They're just cynics. And the poor reporter inadvertently has opened the door and all of these cynical people like myself are just walking on in. Journalist shortcuts hurt, even unintentional ones. NPR listeners didn't get a full picture. And Sky Moretta paid, the, that's the coffee shop owner, paid the price. Yes, oh. NPR listeners didn't get a full picture. That is, that is, that is a statement. She paid the price. Thing, like we did all these things wrong and because of it, 
we opened ourselves up to be criticized by bad faith cynics who pointed out this thing that I am now acknowledging as fact is such a remarkable deflection. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed of it, right? You know, if I like run a red light and the police officer pulls me over next time, I'm like, sure, I uh, took some shortcuts with the uh, rules of the road, which I guess opened the door for civics to give me a ticket. Well, red lights were run. I, th I think, I think the the thing here is NPR showing its enormous class bias with its first story, not even considering to talk to workers to understand or to get a full picture of what of what this business owner is complaining about. And then in the follow-up or correction, just sort of downplaying the fact that they didn't talk to workers as just like an oversight rather than a huge indictment, as you said, of NPR and the way they do journalism and the way they operate. It reminds me of Crooked Media's Brian Boitler this week saying, hey, the fact of the matter is, uh, is Christine Blasey Ford was just a more credible accuser than Tara Reid. It's like, well, why do you think that? Why do you think that? The Russians. The Russians. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. That, that must have been it, too. Yeah. Uh, but no, but like even the business owner, when she's interviewed by the public editor, is like, I wasn't OK with how I came across in this story. It sounds like <laughs> I'm against public assistance. When I, like even the small business owner could pick up on the problem with this story that like, NPR can't. And that is just remarkable to me. And, and, you know, the amount of cynicism we see from liberal journalists with the Tara, Tara Reid story is, like, utterly, like, shocking to me. Like, the attempt to sort of defame her by bringing in, like, Russiagate stuff or her view, her medium post on Russia is really gross. And watching people call for, like, Ryan Grimm or uh, Nathan Robinson to be investigated by the FBI, like... There's there's no evidence to suggest that Tara Reid is, is is not a credible accuser, but even if it turned out she wasn't, that's why would you have the FBI investigate Ryan Grimm or Nathan Robinson? And these are the FBI can't investigate itself. Yes, yes, it's like oh, we communication. Like these are literally centrist and liberal Biden supporters publicly fantasizing about using a repressive state apparatus to investigate journalists who published things they didn't like. And it's deeply authoritarian. Like this whole thing about, oh, the Bernie bros, the Bernie bros, they're so toxic, or which is bullshit, or even like the correct depiction of Trump supporters as like a bizarre cult of personality rooted in authoritarianism, like all of that, Okay, how do you turn around and not look at all of these people tweeting about how I, I made the mistake of, of asking one of them questions this week on Twitter after they tweeted at me um, when I'm like, what what do we want to investigate these people for? It's like, oh, lying on a police report is a crime, a federal one during an election. And I'm like, can I, <laughs> can I see election. the statute you're referring to? And then they blocked me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Um, anyone the FBI should be investigating very basic questions about what laws they were referring to. Like, like, how would you establish probable cause to search Ryan Grimm's communications? What is what is your theory of your search <laughs> here? 
to be clear, I to be clear, I don't think that uh, Ryan and Nathan are feds. That was a that was a joke. But uh, look, I don't have a um, I don't have a good segue here, Chip, to go into Venezuela from where we were what we were talking about. If you do, go ahead and fire I one off. But just, uh, let's switch just, topics. You know, we have a former U.S. Green Beret, a bizarre Instagram account, uh, an eccentric heir to the Kraft cheese fortune, Donald Trump's personal bodyguard. <laughs> And a Venezuelan drug dealer, maybe. Ah, uh, what what kind of segue do we do we need for this? I think you've already accomplished it. Yeah. Uh, so. So what um, happened here? What's going on? Well, so I just want to point out for uh, some uninteresting background for listeners. I originally approached you and Sam, the Sam's about doing this story, because the Associated Press released a uh, investigation into this former U.S. Green Beret. I believe his name is Goudreau, Goudreau, um, who is running a mercenary firm in Florida. And after this months of investigations by the Associated Press, they uncovered this really wacky and doomed to fail plot to to invade Venezuela and overthrow the government. Um, and I'm like, well, that'd be a great story. Then after I said that to you, these idiots actually tried to do it. Like after <laughs> already in the Associated Press, there was a a daring amphibious landing. On, Fucking uh, D-Day over here on on the coast of Venezuela. And the Venezuelan government's like, we've captured these terrorist mercenaries attacking our country. And, you know, the media was very sort of dismissive of being like, no, they're just making this up. And then out of nowhere, this bumbling Green Beret from the Associated Press story two days earlier was like, actually, it was me. And it's now like tweeting at Donald Trump about his like operatives who have, you know, landed in in um. In, uh, in Venezuela. So I just want to preface that when I suggested we talk about this, it was only because of the wacky Associated Press story. And then in the interim, they actually tried to invade Venezuela with like 15 people. And the head, the head of, actually gets better. The head of the security it, firm tweeted about it. Yes, they tweeted about it, and it was more than 15. It was actually 60 or 62. No, I think uh, at Silvercorp USA tweets, total number, strike force incursion into Venezuela, 60 Venezuelan, two American ex-Green Beret, and then they tag Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Oh, my well, God. Well, I really like his use of Instagram and Twitter tags in general. A number of his tweets reference Instagram posts that are, are no longer up, but they'll have as a hashtag – both active shooter, elite training, and nutrition. And I have no idea what this Instagram post was that should be tagged both as active shooter and nutrition, but like... These dudes are sick, like, at the end of the day. But but so is the administration, and I don't doubt for a second that there were people within the White House aware that this was happening, if not actively involved in helping plan this happen. Um, and at the very least, at the very least, even if they didn't, there's more than enough evidence connecting the scheme to the White House that if, uh, that, that has been used to tie militias in Iraq to Iran, 
and has been used to tie other various activities to nation states that the U.S. is opposed to, that it should be used coming back on us, that this is clearly an attempt by the U.S. to to launch a coup in Venezuela. I mean, we've been obviously trying to do it for years, so it's not a big surprise, but this is a pretty direct example of it. <laughs> well, the, the the Associated Press had, had said that uh, Guaido discouraged this uh, apparent force, uh, this, this mission, because he thought it was suicidal, which maybe he doesn't exactly have the best judgment on that, but that's, that's another, another topic for another day. But it does sort of seem like that the U.S. knew this was going on and could have directly said, no, don't do this. But instead, the Trump administration was probably took the line of like, yeah, you know what? Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Guaido opposed it because he wanted more than 60 people. He probably wanted 6,000. <laughs> so the plot that Guaido opposed had 300 people. When I said 15 or so, I, I was I think I was referencing the number who were actually captured or killed. The claim that there is 60 comes from this guy who runs this private mercenary form. 15, 15 is the number of people still willing to do it after it was exposed in the press and after the guy tweeted it was going to happen. <laughs> but, 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 um, but yeah, I mean, as to the U.S. involvement, I mean, I feel like I can go either way on that one. Like, if the U.S. was involved, I unfortunately would not be surprised on the other hand, while they are certainly hellbent on overthrowing the government of Venezuela, these people are such buffoons. I, I'm not, I would not be surprised if they were self-motivated buffoons. Um, but per the Associated Press article, they could find no evidence of U.S. or CIA involvement. But the CIA was definitely aware of it because the uh, Alcala, the Venezuelan uh, former general they were working with, who is now indicted on uh, narco-terrorism charges in the U.S., uh, told the Colombian intelligence that he was planning this and that he had help from this guy, Goudreau, who I believe that's how you pronounce his name, who was a former CIA agent. And the Colombian intelligence went to the CIA and asked him, and they were like, this guy is not a CIA, former or current CIA agent. We wash our hands of this. And then Colombian intelligence told this guy, this Venezuelan guy who's now indicted on narco trafficking, that um, that he that they he had to stop talking about this or get expelled from Colombia. And then what happens was there was a shipment of weapons over the Venezuelan border from Colombia in March that the Venezuelan police intercepted. And after the weapons were revealed, this guy, this out, I, I, Spanish pronunciation is not not good. I'm sure I will get frightful criticism for this. Uh, Alcala, Alkia, uh, you know, went on a radio program and like took credit for it. And then shortly after that, or shortly before that, I'm not sure of the timeline, the U.S. does its thing where they indict Maduro and other Venezuelan officials for narco terrorism. And he's one of the officials indicted. And then he goes and turns himself over, even though there's no extradition request and is extradited to the U.S. where he is now in custody for, for narco, narco trafficking charges. And Elliot Abrams is claiming that this is like some sort of like false flag that, you know, the, the Venezuelan government told him to say this. And he's like a regime stooge or something. And 
that's just sort of ridiculous. But like this whole thing that they were planning with 300 people, this guy, he runs this private mercenary firm. He has this Instagram account where if you look at his Instagram account, there's lots of pictures of him like running shirtless on a treadmill. There's a very poorly done promotional video that I, I actually watching it cannot figure out what this firm is supposed to be doing. There's a number of things of him talking like he looks like he's giving a TED talk, like like B-roll footage of giving a TED talk, and then a num number of footage of him on a pier with a woman pointing at things, and him running and him, you know, doing martial art, then men jumping around with guns. And it's just such a bizarre website. Uh, well, what 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 happens to this guy now? I mean, <laughs> like assuming which one? I mean any of these guys, uh, the guys who are in custody or the people associated with this security firm here in the U.S. I would think, assuming that the the government, the U.S. government, wasn't uh, actively involved in planning this, which is a big if. Um, I would assume that trying to invade another country and launch a coup is probably illegal. So uh, I uh, I recently was on your program to talk about how the FBI investigated uh, nonviolent Palestinian solidarity activists for violating the Neutrality Act. This, to me, sounds like they're raising a hostile army or ship against a prince or principality at which the U.S. is with, at peace with. Uh, this would strike me as a neutrality act violation, but nothing is going to happen to any of you. I mean, the guys in Venezuela, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. My, my big concern is that the Trump will take a big interest in them and then use this as an excuse to launch some sort of military aggression against Venezuela to like rescue our citizens or something like that, you know, um, Realistically, these people were committing an attack against a sovereign nation. Any sovereign nation has a right to defend themselves against that. Uh, out of practicality, if I was the Venezuelan government, I would probably just expel them to the U.S. to avoid a, a, a conflict with, with the U.S. over this, right? I mean, it's not clear what the thinking is based on this group's Instagram and their... Um, their weird promotional video, they imply heavily that they did security for a Trump rally in Charlottesville, North Carolina in October 2018. Were they security contractors or not? I don't know. These people don't have a lot of veracity, right? Also, Trump associates with awful people. So it's sort of an either or thing. They also claim that they did... Um, security for the Live Aid Venezuela concert uh, organized by that billionaire. Richard Branson, is that is that is that his name? Yeah, Richard Branson. Richard Branson, they did security for that concert. But once again, I, I don't consider these people to have much veracity. They claim they signed a contract with Wong Guaido and the opposition government, and they pulled out, and the opposition people claim they had nothing to do with this. And, you know, it, it's a situation in which neither party has a lot of veracity, right? Um, I could totally see the Venezuelan opposition giving their, given their lackluster uh, judgment, employing the, you know, the Florida man, um, Florida man invades country story. Uh, to 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 you know lead this group of 300 people to attack Venezuela. I can also see this man just being 
like a publicity hound, right? Uh, yeah. Like build his mercenary business by invading Venezuela. Like his claim is that they all they signed a contract for like two hundred million dollars or something like that. The Venezuelan opposition did not fulfill their terms of the bargain, so he decided to go through with it anyways. Which is just like, I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, it's crazy. Uh, um, the even crazier thing to think about all this is that Juan Guaido, Juan Guaido is still in the picture, and then he's not in a jail rotting away somewhere. You speak of how authoritarian well, he might get Maduro now is. Because he's been asked to testify about this matter and is refusing to do so. Right? We well. hear all about how Venezuela is an authoritarian nation. It's a regime. Uh, they need to transfer this into democracy. And here you have this guy, Juan Guaido, who is like openly conspiring with not only a hostile nation, but the biggest and most aggressive nation with a history <laughs> of like terrorizing the entire hemisphere. And he's like walking around Venezuela. And now he's like, I won't testify about whether or not I was involved with this mercenary form. And it's like, oh, he may or may not go to jail. Mm. Uh, you know, if I was subpoenaed to testify about trying to overthrow the u.s government and i didn't show up i imagine i would probably not not end well, up doing we well. know what happens with that we know what happens when you don't testify so <laughs> look at so chelsea manning on their website they have the services they offer one of which is labeled complex leader complex project leadership i don't know what that is uh, but when I click on Co it, doing it, coups, no, no, I, let me let me finish this. Uh, when I when I when I finish, it takes me to a page marked crisis leadership slash mitigation. And there's all these different services, threat evaluations, hostage recoveries, extortion, emergency evacuations, other crises, then under a development of contingency plans, then under threat evaluations, though, it says our operatives travel at a moment's notice, apparently by boat, and get caught by Venezuelan fishermen, uh, to evaluate threats levied by political or labor movements, mm. or disgruntled or dismissed, it's a basically fucking Pinkertons, disgruntled or dismissed employees <laughs> calling upon psychiatric resources when necessary. What they the also arrange for the protection of the individual or asset at hazard. If I may, uh, this this Jordan Goudreau fellow, uh, if I recall correctly, he's Canadian. Canadian born, U.S. citizen. It's it's uh, it's really funny how a lot of right wing Canadian scum just seems to find its way over the border and uh, make its way into the national security state apparatus to do tons of harm. And then down thinking to Florida, Goudreau thinking about David Frum. Uh, there are other Canadians, I'm sure you can cite as examples, other right-wing Canadians who are like, you know what? Actually, uh, not being America is bad, and I would rather be in America and do terrible shit all over the world for very rich people. And I don't know, folks, maybe maybe we need to shut down uh, shut down the border with Canada until we can figure uh, out what the hell is going on. I had a lovely uh, vacation trip to Montreal recently, and I would like to go back. So I'm, I'm going to Too bad, no. Chip. Too bad, Chip. We got to keep the country safe. You can't make me stay here. That's cruel. It does. Uh, it, does it seems like it's weird timing and that uh, it's it points to the U.S., if not being directly responsible, creating the conditions for this sort of fucking insane plot to happen, which is that 
there was a lot of U.S. naval activity in the Caribbean maneuvering with regards to Venezuela in the past few weeks. And that can only be regarded as much more suspicious now in the wake of this ridiculous, ridiculous Silver Corp plot. So another fact about Jordan Goudreau, uh, he got a bunch of medals in the military, but at the end of his career in 2013, he was investigated for defrauding the army of $62,000 in housing stipends. Though the investigation was closed without charge, but like another fun fact about this guy, and he was at one point in with Trump's bodyguard who took him to meet with members of the Venezuelan opposition, but per Trump's uh, body ex-bodyguard, current bodyguard, I don't know, he just thought the guy was so unserious he ref- and in over his head, he refused to arrange any more communications with him and the opposition. And then there's this question of who funded this. And per the Associated Press, uh, one of the alleged potential funders was Rowan Kraft, an eccentric descendant of the cheese-making family, Mm. who was amongst those meetings with envoys in Miami and Washington, along with the Trump former bodyguard. Uh, He apparently started raising money amongst his circle of fellow trust funder friends for what he described as a private coup to be carried out by Silvercore. Amazing. If, you, if you're a rich kid, you can just money? play. You can play this game. You can play Risk on a fucking real stage. But then, when when the AP contacted this guy, he admitted meeting him three times over the last year, but refused to do business with him and only discussed the delivery of Canadian humanitarian aid and broke off communication on October the fourth, when he seemed intent on a military action, claiming he never gave him any money. So. You know, it, it, it seems like there's a lot of goonish people with money and, and no sense. And we, we've seen that before with, like, yeah. U.S. funding for the Contras. It's not clear to me how much of just an incompetent blowhard this guy is who was in over his head or how much people were enamored with him and then got turned off by him or if he was actually in with these people. There's just a lot of of questions like I said, none of the parties involved have any sort of reason why I would take any of their statements seriously, but I mean, well, this guy has power. I, I personally can't wait to see what these dipshits do next. That's 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 going to be uh, that's going to be something to watch out for. Uh, Chip, any any final thoughts before we wrap up Chip Chat? Uh, I really like. I really upset that no one used the headline: "Florida man stages amphibious invasion of sovereign nation." <laughs> there it is. He was Canadian. He's a lot of things, man. <laughs> a lot of things. As a Florida man, Jesus, there is military expert, uh, housing stipend entrepreneur. You know, many things. Many well, things. he's doing the proud Canadian tradition of going to Florida and being a dipshit. Yes, there it is. As a Florida man, I, I feel confident to say that he can go be both a Florida man and a Canadian dipshit as well. Chip Gibbons, thanks for coming on for another edition Thank of Chip Chat. Thank you for Chat. having me. If you can prove this was me.